Founder depression. Some serious shit. Today's episode, we share a few laughs and jokes, but we do take a very serious dive into the shock of learning of the suicide of one of your fellow entrepreneurs, the realization of what you're going through and, and trying to conceptualize how to deal with it, and the importance of communication, not just with your team, but with your family and your friends as well. Three, two, one. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Founder Journeys. Uh, really excited. I'm always excited because all these entrepreneurs are my friends. So you keep hearing me say that over and over. But this one is a special one. Darius Agdami is uh, the founder and president of uh, Fans Unite Entertainment. Uh, it's a public company. It's listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. We had a, uh, uh, a bit of a hand in helping through that journey with uh, Victory Square. And we'll get into some of the stories of uh, Darius and I and, and that journey together. But uh, he's a serial entrepreneur and he's an investor, uh, a good friend, Darius. Welcome to the show. Real honored to have you on today. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. Lucky to be here. Yeah. So for our audience, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, background. Tell us about Fans Unite, the industry that you're in. Uh, and, and we won't dive too much into the company itself, but really want to dive into you and your journey. But uh, give us a background about Fans Unite and what you're doing there. Yeah, for sure. So I'm the president now of Fans Unite, chairman of the board. We're a publicly traded sports betting company. Focus on the technology side for sports betting, esports, casino, um, and and now casino games as well. So um, being out of for quite a while, it's been a been a long journey. It's nice to see it going public this year. Yeah, and, and it, it didn't start off as as this big beast that it's growing into. Uh, when you first started, um, like I got introduced to the company and and handicapping and figuring out what handicapping is. Tell us about the the initial journey of of Fans Unite, or even before that, like. I know you were at KPMG, you're an accountant and just like me, but uh, how did you go from working a KPMG nine to five type job and uh, then starting your own business and yeah. sports betting of all things? Yeah, for sure. Man, my story is pretty long winded here, so I'll try to keep it as high level as possible. But I, I actually got into the sports betting industry in 2009. So I was in accounting school um, at UBC. I was uh, sitting in the back of the class and I had my own little website where we used to predict the outcomes of games. So we picked like four or five games a day, NFL, NBA, NHL, whatever it was. Um, and we picked who, who we thought was going to win and why we thought they were going to win. And then we charged for that information. We charged 70 bucks a week for people to get access to that information. And we launched the site. We started marketing it around a little bit. And the money started coming in. And we were like super excited. Like, holy crap, people pay for this stuff. And, you know, after a while, they realized we weren't actually very good. So they turned out pretty quickly. <laughs> um, so your, your picks weren't good. Yeah, we were like 50 50, which is like, you're not good. You're not making anyone money at that point. Um, but we were pretty good at marketing ourselves. So uh, we paid our last way through university just by making those picks. And then, you know, we realized at that point, we're like, you know, we're just a couple of schmucks doing this. There's so many other schmucks out there doing the same thing. We are charging hundreds of dollars for like a single pick. Um, there must be, you know, a better way. So um, this is global, well, right? So this is not just you're yeah. just selling to people in, in Vancouver, Canada. You're selling your picks and, and data all around the world. That's right, yeah. We had um, you know tens of thousands of members, uh, or I guess that's for the fan tonight side, but we were selling our picks all around the world because um, sports are global, right? Which, which is what makes it pretty cool. Um, but from there, I went, actually went to KPMG, um, worked there for three years, got my chartered account designation. Um, always knew you know I wanted a designation like that in my back pocket, but I, I knew I wouldn't stay there. I was kind of an entrepreneur at heart. I knew I would want to start my own thing. So I got designated and I left. Um, I had started the first iteration of Fans United while I was at KPMG and decided, you know, I want to go work on this full time. So I left KPMG in 2014, 
to pursue that kind of social sports book concept, handicapping concept in 2014. That kind of started my path and my career to where I am now. Benzite now is, is a public company, but you're growing. Uh, what, what can we expect from uh, Benzite? Yeah, so I mean, the, I guess the last six years have been pretty interesting. So we started that company kind of in 2013. We were fortunate enough to sell it in 2016 to, to Victory Square and you know, got to work with you guys, of course. Um, and then in 2018, we decided to spin it out. Um, we thought that would be the best way to maximize value for everyone. So we spun it out, we raised a bunch of money, build out the team, started building out the concept. And the concept was new, it was about getting into real money sports betting and building the technology behind that. So we built it out. And then earlier on this year, um, we wanted to go public. So we did another financing, we did an acquisition, we went public, we just did another acquisition a couple months ago. Um, and so now we're a full iGaming platform. So we built technology for not just sports books, but for esports betting, as well as casino and casino games. So moving forward, it's just, you know, continuing uh, building that technology, getting new clients to, to license our technology, power their sports book for building casino games. Um, we want to build a whole suite of casino games um, to be able to license that to all the sports books as well. Um, and then focusing on licensing, getting new licenses around the world right now. So a lot of interesting things coming up for us. Um, being a publicly traded company, you know, people are aware of kind of what we're doing, but that's kind of the, the major catalyst coming up for us um, over the course of the next six to 12 months. Yeah, like totally end to end where your traditional casino games to sports betting, sports uh, is now legal, sports betting is legal in North America. Uh, it's actually, it's not legal in Canada, is it? It's legal like from a, from a provincial level. Um, okay. U.S. now is state by state as well, so a bit fragmented, but it's getting there. Yeah, uh, which is a big stark difference from, from when we started uh, our relationship. <laughs> it wasn't legal in the U.S. And, and now you're also with the esports, and that's the, the new uh, blue horizon is, is uh, blue ocean is, is esports and esports betting. Yeah, yeah, and that was pretty cool for us because, you know, we were a little bit worried as we were closing our financing. We were getting ready to go, go public, and of course, the pandemic hit. Um, but we navigated that pretty well, especially with the acquisition and merger of Ascot, which is an esports company. So we kind of proved to be a little bit pandemic proof um, because as sports stopped, esports didn't stop and it's the global sport. And so that was really cool for us um, being able to kind of monetize on that area. So, so this journey sounds really exciting, super successful and, and, and uh, you, you come across like, hey, you knew exactly what you're doing, but I obviously know from the other side of the table, it's not the case. Like this, this, your journey, just like everybody else's, is full of a lot of ups and downs. Walk us through some of the obstacles and challenges that you faced and you had to overcome to get to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, a lot of ups and downs. I feel like a lot, of, mostly downs over the course of the first, you know, 80% of our journey here. But, um, you know, as, as a founder entrepreneur, you're kind of always running out of money. I feel like that was always a big stressor for us. Um, we were, Kind of at the end of our journey we thought um, with the social platform and we got this lifeline um, right at the end where we got to go through an acceler accelerator program in Colorado got to work with some of like the top mentors and entrepreneurs in the state um, that really what was the name of the accelerator it was Boomtown. yeah Boomtown in Colorado in Boulder Colorado awesome guys amazing guys and you know, I still talk to those guys all the time a lot of cool companies go through that program and um, that was a big of a bit of a lifeline and then we were coming out of that program we were raising money that's kind of when we got introduced to you guys um, and you guys were going to plan on leading the round, and then we ended up kind of selling the company and being kind of a part of Victory Square at that point. Where I think we were the first portfolio company into the. Yeah. Into and you, the you're a big company. cornerstone. You're a big part of. Uh, it wasn't just a, uh, an acquisition. It was it was very strategic, and uh, not just the company, but the individuals. Uh, I think 
you guys grew to be a very instrumental in helping build Victory Square what it is today, as Victory Square was in helping Fans Unite become what it is today. Yeah, exactly. It was good. Yeah, really good relationship, good working relationship to kind of work with, with um, again, kind of more experienced entrepreneurs. You know, we were a bit, yeah. still a bit green at that point, so that was pretty <laughs> cool. But, you know, it was always like that extra lifeline you were looking for, and, and we kept kind of getting it. So, but kind of until you get that lifeline, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of downs, right? Yeah, and, and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what year that was. That was like 2016? 2016, yeah. Yeah. So you've not, you and I have had a number of journeys and, and uh, adventures together. No, I mean, we, we've known each other now for quite a while. We've had some pretty fun experiences, got to kind of travel quite a bit together. Um, I know when we kind of sold, or I guess, you know, became a part of Victory Square, you know, you, myself, Shaf, and, and the team, you know, you guys took us down to Vegas for the G2E conference. Um, so that was yeah, so it was fun. a work trip. It wasn't just yeah, uh, hey, let's head to Vegas. Trip. It was a work trip. Yeah, work hard, play hard, though. So you know, we had you know fun times, good good dinners. Um, got to battle some sports while we were down there. Got some some pretty fun uh, clubbing experience with the guys. So that was kind of like we didn't we weren't as close, you know, at the start. Um, and I kind of think bonded kind of our relationship, just being able to get out of the work zone and being able to have fun like that um, for a few days down in Vegas with the whole team. So I think that really cemented you know, at least the start of our journey, you and you and myself, mm -hmm. so, you know, always kind of look back to that and had a lot of fun. That's actually a really timely uh, topic. Everybody's kind of shifting to work from home and uh, we know very well how that type of uh, getaway and that type of um, uh, event really galvanized our team and then made us very comfortable. Like, first of all, you and I uh, spent more time together when we went to Montreal in 2016 for Startup Festival. And so we've had that opportunity. And um, uh, I know this from other previous businesses. When you, when you do these road trips, there's opportunities to have a level of bonding and, and uh, camaraderie that you can't just get in the office. And then we went to Vegas, that just got doubled down even more because different members of the team were there and, and uh, uh, we were kind of at a different stage in our relationship and that just, kind of solidified things but where do you see the opportunity or the lack thereof of, of trying to do those type of things in today's world it's tough it's it's a lot harder like we um we did the, the merger with with ascot two months ago and there's still a lot of the members of the team that i actually haven't met physically right so it's hard to build that relationship um we're doing kind of like one-on-one -on -one zoom calls just to kind of meet the people and, and get to know them a little bit more but um, it's made it a lot, a lot harder. Yeah, just the team bonding stuff. So we're trying to do as many kind of team-wide calls as we can, um, and talk about a different aspect of the business every time, so that people kind of get to share their story and what they're focusing on at Fans Unite, whether it's the esports or sports spending, the you know the, the building of the game. So that's kind of cool. Um, so obviously, you know, Zoom and, and Slack are the kind of the two big things we're using right now. But it is different, like you said, for sure. Yeah, and and one of the other highlights for me on that trip was uh, we got to meet this uh, stud of an athlete, uh, Shaq, yeah. <laughs> and had a had a couple of interactions with him. Uh, that was that was a real highlight. But uh, I want to jump from one stud of an athlete to another athlete that was studying. Uh, <laughs> that was our trip in uh, Kentucky. So a uh, little background: Darius and I, and and I believe uh, Tom from our uh, Victory Square team, ended up going to Kentucky to talk with the um the team from the breeders cup because they were in a situation where horse racing obviously has challenges it uh, is kind of growing or, or diminishing in uh, viewership and they wanted to explore ways to attract a younger audience use technology gaming uh social media and all these other 
new fandangled approaches to wrangling a new audience. And so we went down to talk to them and, and explore that. We were very hospitable. They, they, they put us up in, a, in an amazing uh, a farm and, and uh, we saw amazing horses. But one of the ones that we saw was uh, a championship horse that was retired and they were putting it out to stud and each stud fee was what 700,000 US. And they'd stud them out 40 times a year in North America. And then in the winter, they would fly them out to Australia and stud them out again 40 times or more in Australia. And so when you do the math, that's like more than $50 million a year off of this one horse for uh, just profit. And they had like tons of horses <laughs> on just that one farm. And that's, that's the model. That's the industry. That they, they, the amount of money that flows through is crazy. Yeah. And then, and then as those horses, as their, their offspring started to race and actually prove that they were good race horses, that stud fee just kept going up and up and up and it was crazy. I remember yeah. uh, we were, when they were kind of walking us around, you know, that was obviously one of their, their biggest prized possessions, but there was this other horse on the farm, like this like ugly ass horse that no one gave a shit about except for the farm. They said, this is the most important horse because that stud absolutely loved this female horse. And anytime that stud didn't want to, I guess, you know, perform the act, they would have to bring that that horse he loved into the room and that horse would get super, super excited. They'd spin the horse around, do a switcheroo, and then he'd just mount the next horse, which was the one coming in uh, <laughs> to, to get the, the, the studs. So I remember that horse, it was a really ugly horse, but he said anytime there was like a storm or like thunder, they'd always run to protect that horse before any other horse. Yeah, yeah, that, that we, we definitely got a uh, behind the scenes look at, uh, at the industry that we weren't quite expecting, but uh, yeah. it was important for us to learn that stuff. But the reason why I bring it up is it was, it was a, uh, a, a, a moment that a lot of entrepreneurs face that we had to deal with is that you have this old guard industry, horse racing, that is trying to um, modernize itself and, and, and appeal to a new young audience and, and uh, new digital platforms, a new digital way of doing things. But as we went through that process with them and told them about uh, gaming and, and other activities that we could do to help them attract a younger audience and the thinking outside the box, new revenue streams and everything else. It, it kind of just washed over them. And there's some people in the audience in, in that room that were younger and they got it, but the old guard, the decision makers just didn't get it. And, and they couldn't wrap their heads around it. And ultimately we weren't able to make that deal happen. And so you as an entrepreneur, um, how how did you deal with that? Like that would that could have been a very big deal for us if, yeah. if we landed it and, and it could have totally changed the trajectory of, of where Fans Unite went. And so when we were faced with that or you were faced with that, how did you deal with it? And what, how did you digest it and ultimately accept that that outcome? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we did what we could, you know, unfortunately, you know, you know, we, we weren't out there saying we have all the answers, but I think we had a lot of good ideas of what could potentially help um, the industry, which was obviously not appealing to the younger demographic. And I don't think some of the ideas of, of, that they had of, you know, putting a nightclub in the, at the horse track was really what was going to bring an audience of young people. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we I think you obviously learn on it, on every one of those experiences and you kind of reflect and you're like, hey, okay, well, you know, what happens if that happens to our industry, right? So um, I think for us, it's always like being able to be agile, um, kind of always forward, forward thinking of what the industry could become. And the biggest thing I think we've learned is that, you know, yes, you build a product, but you know, you can't just love your product and, and slowly die by a thousand cuts. You know, if it's, it's a product that's not working, you need to be agile enough to, to notice that. You need to be able 
quick enough to be able to pivot um, to get that validation you need, right? So a lot of entrepreneurs fall in love with their product and I've, we've been, we've done that before too, but if it's not working, you gotta be willing to change or I think you're just gonna die by a thousand cuts. How did you bounce back from that? Let's look at kind of what other opportunities are out there. Let's not kind of dwell on that, but let's learn this. Let's reflect, uh, take kind of a bird's eye view. Did we do anything wrong? Did we do anything that we think we can do better? And then move on to the next one. And, and I think uh, we moved on pretty quickly, you and I, obviously. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, as a entrepreneur myself and an investor, know that the entrepreneurs that I invest in have challenges and issues and, and there's ups and downs, but also know that having been an entrepreneur and so I'm an entrepreneur, it's difficult to talk to people about those challenges, especially your team members, especially to your investors, because there's this notion that the entrepreneur needs to have all the answers. The entrepreneur cannot show signs of weaknesses or uh, signs of struggling because it's a bad indicator to the market and to your team. But that's not the case. Like we as entrepreneurs know how much um, being around fellow entrepreneurs and then sharing ideas and sharing our challenges and, and uh, uh, trials and tribulations uh, helps. And so there's this notion of taboo topics, things that entrepreneurs don't talk about. So I kind of want to spend a few minutes diving into that. Like, what, what are your thoughts around this? You obviously entrepreneur, but you're also around other entrepreneurs and, and uh, you invest as well. So what's your perspective on, on these taboo topics and, and how do we overcome that taboo? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. I think it's such an important topic. I guess I have kind of two tangents. I think one, just kind of a, a backstory. I think I remember coming into your office, you know, one day and you're like, Hey, how are you? And I think I started just talking right about the business. Right. And you like stopped me like, no, here's, how are you? Right. And that's something that, you know, people don't really ask enough. And it was good. Cause like, I, I wasn't in a good place at that point, just being able to kind of talk to someone about it was really important. I think. Um, so I think, Hey, I was kind of, that always sticks out, which is, um, which is important. But um, I, I remember in 2016, I, I invested in, in a mindful mindfulness company. And to be honest, I didn't really know what mindfulness was. I was just betting on, you know, on the jockey, right? I thought I was a really, really smart guy. Um, he knew what he was doing and he was, he was building a company in mindfulness. So we invested. Um, and then, you know, that was part of that Boomtown Accelerator. As we came out of that program um, of the 10 companies, one of the companies was like miles ahead of everyone else. All the investors were loving them. They were getting a whole bunch of money. Their product was close to, to, to getting out there in the market and being validated. And I remember a few months after the program, we got a call that the CEO had committed suicide, um, which was, you know, you know, he really hit home for everyone there because we saw this guy as like really super successful. He had a family, he had a child, and we thought everything was going great, but obviously he was, you know, battling something, right? But that kind of opened our eyes to, you know, holy shit, you know, um, this is something we should probably open up more about. Um, all the founders there started kind of talking to each other. And that's something now that I've been able to incorporate in my life. Like I was always kind of a little bit, like you said, didn't talk about it with the team because you always want to put on this front that, you know, everything's going great. Um, you know, you're strong, but fortunately enough for me, the guys on my team now are some of my best friends. So I'll be you know, being able to open up to them about my issues, my anxiety um, about work um, and just life. And I've encouraged them to open up about it too. And it's, it's made us so much closer and, you know, made us feel like we're not alone um, in this journey because there's a lot of ups and downs. And when you're in those downs, if you're not in the trenches with the people, you know, you, you care about and you trust and you can open up to, it makes it a lot more difficult. So I think everyone now is being able to open up more about, about mindfulness. And me as a, you know, entrepreneur or, uh, you know, running a public company, I'm okay talking about my issues. And if that helps someone else um, who's up and coming, then I'm always willing to talk to someone because I've been there. Um, last few years haven't been easy. 
um, you know, the anxiety, um, the, the kind of the depression that, that goes with that. Um, there's a lot of kind of things that people don't talk about, which, but I think people should. It takes a lot to open up, but once you do, you, you see that benefit and you see uh, uh, the positive that it has on you. But one of the things you don't realize is it has positives on the other person because oftentimes it's a two-way street. And even if it's an investor or somebody that's not there uh, working in the trenches with you every single day, you opening up, as long as it's a trusted person, helps them as, as well because there's, they have struggles and they might open up about something, but it also humanizes the whole entrepreneurial journey and, and gets people grounded. So um, yeah, it's definitely the realization that it's, it's not just a one-way street where you're just opening up and spilling all your uh, trials and tribulations on somebody else. It, it's, it's a two-way conversation that you have and um, the other person on the other side is more likely gonna be uh, supported, but also uh, opening up themselves. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's okay to be vulnerable. You know, no matter what the position you are, it doesn't matter if you're CEO of a company. You know, it's okay to be vulnerable and, and open up and talk about these things. And and you know, that's kind of kind of in the sports betting industry and obviously big sports fans. I think it's really cool that a lot of the athletes are now coming out um, and talking about it. And, and we always kind of put them on a pedestal that you know, this guy's making a hundred million dollars. Like, how does he have any anxiety or, or depression issues? But the fact is, a lot of people are dealing with this. I'm really supportive of them opening up and using their platform to talk about it because it just makes it more open for everyone else to start talking about these issues and, and hopefully getting better together as a, as a kind of a one close-knit community. It's work-life balance and depression, anxiety, all those different things do affect other parts of your life as well. It's not just centric around work. And so once you do have these challenges or depression or anxiety, uh, it trickles through other aspects of your life and other people in your life as well. So let's jump to the topic of work-life balance and what that means to you and, and how you've um, shaped your, your life into what it is today. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I didn't really have that work-life balance for the last few years, but it's something that um, definitely being a little bit more of a focal point for me. Um, you know, I have a two-year-old daughter, um, you know, amazing wife. So I always want to kind of be there for them. Uh, you know, the first kind of few months, I felt like I was kind of missing her life, uh, working so hard 12 hours a day, just so focused on everything we were doing. So you know, I wanted to take a kind of a step back that, you know, I don't want to miss her life. I want to be able to be there part of that, you know, and I think you can be, you know, like um, I remember talking to my dad once and he's like, you know, he asked me to do something. I hadn't done it. And then, um, you know, my excuse was I didn't have time. Right. And he made me kind of reflect, you know, what did I do in that day that I didn't have time, you know, and I can look back on that day and I, you know, did I go on Instagram? Absolutely. Did I go on Facebook? Probably. Did I, you know, read a whole bunch of ESPN articles on, you know, sports? Yeah. So like, I did have time. I just chose not to use that time to do those things. So I'm kind of a little bit more mindful about, you know, what am I doing with my time? You know, I have um, limits on my phone on, on things that I go on. And so I can use that time and, uh, you know, spend it with my family, spend it with the people I love, spend it with friends, talk to friends, and then um, even physically um, get back into shape. That's something I've totally neglected over the last few years. Um, so just got a new Peloton. Excited to kind of jump on that. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big biker, but I know that's probably the, the one thing I'll actually maybe do because it's inside and I don't have to leave the house. Um, you know, I know I'm not going out it's, for a run. It's, it's entertaining. Here. It's engaging. Yeah. Uh, we've had a few people talking about Peloton and, and uh, the impacts have, especially during COVID. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, work-life balance is, is super key now and something I haven't focused on really my entire life until this last year. You, you've got a, a wife, a very uh, loving wife and supportive wife. How did that type of relationship help you through those ups and downs? It, it, I mean, interesting question because... 
probably couldn't have done it with, without such a supportive kind of family and wife and, and parents. Um, because when you're working 12 hours a day and you can't really do a lot of the other things, um, it's hard on them, right? And the supportive ones don't really bring it up, but you kind of have to sit back and think about it. Like, you know, what kind of impact is it having on them? So, you know, very fortunate to have someone in my life that never gave me a hard time for working, um, never gave me a hard time for coming home late or missing dinner or, you know, coming home by the time she'd already gone to bed. Um, so I think I always kind of appreciate what she's done for, for me. And now hopefully, you know, can return the favor by being able to, you know, provide and support them, um, my child and my, and my wife, right? So um, very, very, yeah. very fortunate there. And a key part of it is open communication, having dialogue. And, and it, it's, it's hard at times. Like you, you come home, you're dead tired from work and um, you quickly forget that uh, that person's your spouse and, and they want to spend time with you. They didn't marry you just to, yeah. to, to have a, a, a dead body sitting next to them in bed. Like they, they yeah. want to have engagement. They want to have dinner. They, and so you have to have a, a positive dialogue. And uh, the other side of it is it's like your wife is a, professional as well she's she's very accomplished and uh she's got a career of her own so it's 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 not like you're the only one that's faced the challenges every single day yeah i feel like it sometimes it was really hard you know you'd come home from like a really stressful day and then they would be like hey like how was work what'd you do and you're like you fuck i don't want to i don't want to talk about it like i finally got yeah. home like i don't want to talk about it but then you kind of realize like they're left in the complete dark so you kind of have to talk about it a little bit but um, you know, I, I don't love bringing work home. I'm trying not to do that as much, but that was always like a point. I feel like you said communication. Like I would just get home and I just didn't want, I didn't want to talk about that shit day I just had, you know? Um, but obviously they're loving and supportive and they want to know, you know, what you do and, and, and how that day was. So communication is pretty key. I want to kind of transition to, uh, two questions that I want to use to kind of wrap up this talk. Uh, the first one is, is you talked about the time management and everything else, but what are some apps or tools that you've used as a founder that have uh, helped shape your founder journey to, to what it is? It can be anything that you've used in your life. Uh, it can yeah. be time management. It could be something totally different. Uh, something that's really been impactful for you. Right. Um, I would say kind of two, maybe, maybe one work, one, one personal. So work, you know, we as a company can't live without Slack. So on our computers, on our phones, that's just the best communication tool for us. Um, but it's also one that you can kind of mute when you don't want to hear those notifications. Um, but Slack by far is the best app, you know, for me um, and our whole team. And then personally, I, I downloaded an app called Calm. So yeah, I know that one. You know, yeah, a multi-billion dollar company now, uh, amazing um, for mindfulness and meditation. So sometimes kind of when I'm in the thick of it or, or not feeling great, um, I'll do a quick, you know, uh, one minute, five minute, 10 minute kind of stress reliever, anxiety reliever, um, so that's what I, I have personally, and that's what I've actually recommended to a lot of friends um, who want to do meditation or get into that type of stuff. So I'm by no means, you know, a meditation expert, but I've kind of gotten, gotten into it in the last uh, year. And I think just being able to kind of focus on the breathing and stuff like that um, has definitely helped. So calm, calm on the personal side for sure. Yeah, calm. Um, I've, I've got serious problems trying to meditate. I, I can't shut my brain off. It, it's yeah. I've tried for so many years, yoga and, and meditation. It just doesn't work for me. But uh, Calm is, is a great app because it's got a lot, huge variety of um, uh, different uh, uh, activities and themes and things. So uh, I found that one useful, even though yeah. I didn't quite hit that yeah. Nirvana state. Yeah. It, it I'm not there yet either. Yeah. Because you kind of put it on and then like 30 seconds in, your mind's already thinking about something else. Right. Yeah. But it's, 
I guess, you know, your mind's a muscle, you know, you have to train it over. You've been, we've been training it one way for the last, for me, like 33 years. Right. So yeah. it takes some time for me to be able to kind of retrain and be able to do that. But I'm, I'm like you, you know, after 30 seconds, my mind's already, you know, what's happening here, what's happening at work, blah, blah, blah. So I think, uh, get myself back into it. So just practice. Yeah. But it's, it's a great tool to help you keep the rails on and, and then stay focused in that uh, session. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. Uh, you've given a lot of insight, a lot of information. Uh, you've dedicated a lot of your time to this uh, episode. Really appreciate that. Now's your chance to ask our audience for uh, a call to action. What, what's your call to action? What can our audience do for you? How can our audience uh, support you, Fancy Night? We're out there right now. We're trying to build our brand, build our story, get people, you know, eyeballs on the story. So, you know, if you're interested in kind of sports or sports betting, um, our company is called Fans Unite. We're, you know, always he heavy on, on talent. We always want to acquire talent. So um, if you're a senior engineer or an engineer, or you got people who are looking for jobs, you know, hit us up. Um, we're always looking to, to grow our team on the development side. And then um, if you have a cool, interesting, you know, company in the sports betting industry or, or even anything related to sports or fan engagement, um, we've done two acquisitions this year, so we're, we're on that path looking for more consolidation. So um, we're interested in if you have any cool ideas or concepts or built something in the space, you know, to definitely reach out. Awesome. And, and I can definitely uh, recommend the Fancy Night team, uh, both the Darius Scott and, and everybody else are, are great entrepreneurs, great people to work with. Thanks again for taking the time out of your night to have this chat with me. Um, Please continue to be an awesome entrepreneur, an awesome human being, and uh, uh, look forward to seeing you again in person one day. Yeah, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> we'll, we'll appreciate our time together. So we'll, we'll do a dinner once this whole thing ends. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. Launch Ventures is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Founder Journeys, Please like, share, follow, and check out our LinkedIn bio for all the other good stuff.